I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. For 18 years, I worked for the RHS's advisory team, fielding the many questions and concerns our members brought to us. And every year, without fail, I'd have multiple gardeners grow jumpy, eagerly awaiting the time they could start planting their go-to fruit and veggies. Chilies, tomatoes, potatoes, you name it. And trust me, I get it. I too hate the wait. So today, we thought we'd give the people what they want. An entire episode dedicated to food. For the impatient folks, we'll get into the many creative ways you can grow and harvest food today, while also looking into how you can plan ahead as we draw closer and closer to spring. There are so many fantastic flavors to discover. We just don't see them as food, but they are. The flavor of wood. We don't often think about trees when it comes to dinner time, but for woodland ecologist and author, Arthur Caesar Ehrlich, Forests are full of unusual and tasty ingredients. He'll share a few ways to get started with using trees in the kitchen this winter. Afterwards, we'll get into something more familiar, potatoes, as we head to Clockhouse Nursery in North London to hear about their vast collection. Well, quite often, people can't believe there is this amount of potatoes. Plus, we'll also take a pit stop at a supermarket where I'll give you my cheap and easy tips to grow fruit and veg from food scraps. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barter. I like trees and I grow a lot of them, mostly fruit trees. I've got apples and pears and even medlar and quince. It's rare I find someone whose love of trees rivals mine, but Arta Caesar Ehrlich, a woodland ecologist, might give me a run for my money. For the past few years, he's become obsessed with uncovering the myriad of ways you can use trees in the kitchen. And he wrote a book about it called The Flavour of Wood that chronicles his sundry adventures abroad to learn more about how we can incorporate sap, bark, leaves and roots in our food. So without further ado, here's Arthur to tell us about the best ways to cook with the trees in our gardens this winter. The book really is my travels around the world, everything from, of course, North America, where I visited maple syrup producers, to India, where I visited the tea farms, to Africa, where I talked with herdsmen that make this specific kind of pocket ash yogurt, which is, uses charcoal from trees to preserve it 
to Switzerland to speak with cheesemakers there, to other parts of Austria to explore whiskey making and the barrel aging process. And really, it was a travel all around the world exploring how wooden trees are in our food already today. We just don't see them as food, but they are. And there's so, so much more potential in the future. So today I would love to talk to you about how you can use trees in your kitchen all year round. This really starts already in wintertime, especially evergreen trees are perfect for that, starting from the needles to the bark, even the wood itself. So probably the easiest way to use evergreen trees and also to get started with it is that you just take a few needles, put it in a pot or some cup and pour boiling water over it. So essentially make a tea, let it steep for just a few minutes, like you would any herbal tea. And it already gives those fantastic flavors. So evergreen trees have this range of citrusy aromas. So if you take, for example, Norway spruce, they really taste like lemon. But then if you have a Douglas fir, it has really strong uh, flavors like a grapefruit. And if you have a silver fir, it has really strong flavors more in the orangey direction. So you get a really broad spectrum of citrus aromas combined with a, quite a strong freshness and a bit of sappiness, but still in a very positive way. So besides all those evergreen trees, there's also some deciduous trees, which you also can use in winter. So my favorite in that being, of course, the birch tree, the silver birch, because you can use the branches. Some people make tea from the fresh branches in winter. For my personal taste, it gets very bitter very quickly. So what I use it instead is this bitter flavors you get from the branches is I make a tonic with it. So I essentially mix it with lemon juice, a rind of a lemon, then a simple syrup made from brown sugar. And then I steep the cut branches, like I cut it into smaller pieces, and then I let it steep in there for, I don't know, maybe two days or so. And then it has this perfect tonic flavor with the bitter notes, which you want in a tonic. And you can drink it as is, or you can, of course, mix it with gin or your favorite spirit. So the birch trees are generally quite safe for use, but the same rule applies then when going hunting for mushrooms, is that if you're not 100% certain that you have identified the tree correctly, then please don't eat it because there are some poisonous trees out there, very few, but there are. Another one which I'm just experimenting with is the field maple. I have a lot of field maples in my garden. They make up a bulk of my hedges. And now is the time for pruning, of course, for heavy pruning. So I have a lot of branches everywhere. And I tried to experiment with field maple. And it turns out that it has really strong black tea aromas, which was super surprising to me. So this caramel notes. So it not only gives beautiful colors to different kinds of drinks, but it also gives fantastic aromas. Another way of using trees is that you remove the bark and then cut the wood into, let's say, thumb-sized pieces and roast it in the oven until it gets like a beautiful brown color. And this releases a lot of the flavors and aromas in the wood itself. And then you can use it as a spice because going back to the evergreen trees, you get a lot of those cinnamon, vanilla aromas, which then you can use for making, you know, wine-based sauces for some meat dish, or you can make sweets for desserts. You can make some sauces with it. So that's also another way of using trees. 
So using tree pots in the kitchen, there's so many different aspects I love about it. There's of course that you can explore very different and very surprising flavors, like the citrus flavors from evergreen trees or bitter notes from birch trees. But then of course, it's also great of, you know, recycling. If I have, you know, branches in the garden, either if I've cut them myself or, you know, after a storm, there's always stuff coming down. I really see that as food waste, if you want. So I'm not actually throwing it away, but I'm using it in my kitchen. And then finally is that I really think that the future of our land-based food production really has to do with agroforestry. So where we combine trees and field crops. So I also see it as a way of, you know, exploring how we can use trees other than their fruits or their wood by cutting them down, essentially. So I think the future of food production really has to do with agroforestry because it allows us to produce much more food on a smaller area because you're going three-dimensional. With any kind of agriculture we do today, be it organic, conventional, even our gardens, it's essentially a two-dimensional kind of food production because you have fields, you have beds, where you have you know, one crop growing or several crops, but still it's in a two-dimension. However, if you use the principles of agroforestry, you're going into the third dimension. So you're mimicking a forest with its different layers and each and every layer produces some kind of food or material or medicine which is beneficial to us. And then also plants are growing in their natural ecosystem, which means they're healthier. And then, of course, you know, you're building up soil, you're storing a lot of water. And so it's a really super efficient way of producing food. Doing it in your garden, you combine, let's say, fruit trees with berry trees, with some vegetables below, and then maybe even nut trees above. So you can have those different layers and each of those layers is producing food. And then you have to prune quite well and plant properly that there's always enough light for each and every plant in those layers. But once you do that, you can produce quite a large amount of food on very small areas. I'm just encouraging people to try it for themselves, you know, because there's so many fantastic flavors to discover. There are so many new ways to garden to discover. And it's also a great way of using trees which we just have never thought of before. So even in the midst of winter where we are now where it's like really cold and snowy and everything outside, there are still so many fantastic flavors and dishes waiting out there for you. They are just not where you're looking normally, but they're on trees. Thanks, Arta. You can find a link to Arta's book, The Flavor of Wood, in our show notes. In the feature, Arthur mentions that he believes agroforestry is the future of growing. Agroforestry and related disciplines like permaculture are immensely popular nowadays. The idea is that by growing three-dimensionally, we can grow more crops in a small space. This works brilliantly in the tropics and places like Australia and New Zealand where the light levels are high, but it's a bit more challenging in Britain where light levels are low However, there's still some possibilities. For example, if you've got an apple tree or well, any tree, really, you can grow climbers into it. Grapevines, for example, and they'll crop on these trees. So you'll get, in theory, the benefit of some fruit from the trees and the fruit from the vines. And underneath the trees, you can look for uh, shade-loving plants. Things like chives, for example, will produce a useful crop. Also for Arta, it's about finding creative ways to use the discarded components of trees. Whether making tonic from fallen branches or steeping tea with evergreen needles, the incorporation of these new ingredients is both thrifty and sustainable. 
In this present moment, with our changing climate and ongoing cost of living crisis, I've been thinking a lot about how I can be as frugal and eco-friendly in my own garden as well. So for our next feature, I thought why not go to the supermarket and see what fun and cost-effective veggies we can propagate using the leftover ingredients in our fridges and cupboards. Here we are in the supermarket, standing in the aisles of the vegetable and fruit area, or the green produce as we call it, and we're going to be examining the vegetables and the fruit here and looking at those that have potential as propagating material to populate your own garden with fruit, vegetables, houseplants and ornamentals. Let's go over to the onion stall. We're looking at onions here, brown onions and red onions. You can plant onions, but they won't produce more onions, they'll just go to seeds, but you will get very spectacular flower heads that are like great big footballs. And these are relished by pollinators. So you could plant these near your apple trees or your roses, and the big flowers might encourage parasitic and predatory insects to come along and keep down the pests on your roses and apples and other garden plants. And so any onions that you have, plant them up, and they should grow and produce flower heads sometime in June and July. But of more interest to the gardeners are the shallots. There's two different kinds of shallots here, round ones. They're probably grown from seed, so I wouldn't say that they've got a great deal of potential because they'll just flower. But there's also some of the French nature called échalon, so you could buy those and plant them and they should produce more sets. They're about £1.10 a bag and it looks like there's about five or six shallots, big shallots in those bags, so that's considerably cheaper than buying shallots from the garden centre. Shallots are the easiest thing in the world to grow. Their only downside is they never grow very big, but if you pop them in the ground about 18 inches, 45 centimetres apart, with only the top showing, before you know it, there'll be green leaves coming up and then there'll be side bulbs forming and you can harvest the side bulbs green like salad onions or leave them to ripen at the end of the summer. You can plant them any time from now on. Ideally get it all done before the middle of April though. Very often, sadly, in the nature of things, you buy a bag of onions or a bag of shallots and you don't get round to using all of them and they begin to sprout or maybe a little bit of rot sets in. Don't worry, they'll still grow. Plant them out and you'll still get some benefit from them, even though they won't end up in your pots and pans. Let's head to the root vegetables. So here we are at the root vegetables and in front of us are carrots, parsnips, beetroot, celeriac, turnips and swedes. These are all biennials. What that means is that the root forms the first year and then you're sold and you can eat it. But the second year they go to seed. So you can plant these carrots and parsnips and other vegetables, pop them out and they will grow and flower and they will also set seed eventually and you can save the seed for planting yourself. Carrot and parsnip seed isn't that expensive, but it's fun to try it and you'll be amazed at how much better home-saved seed that's very, very fresh comes up than a seed that you've bought. Planting couldn't be simpler. You literally make a hole with a trowel, pop the root in with just the top showing, firm the soil back and let nature take its course. Now we've moved around to the colourful section of the vegetable stand with lots of peppers and tomatoes in shades of red and yellow so you can squidge out the inside of tomatoes and collect the seeds, dry them on a sheet of kitchen towel and then scrape them up and sow them as soon as you like and then you'll have nice plants for your greenhouse or to put outside come May. 
All of these supermarket tomatoes will be hybrid, so they won't come exactly true. But the genetic diversity in tomatoes of hybrid types isn't that great, so they'll come fairly true. So it's well worth collecting the seed. You'll get a, a useful plant. Once you've got the seed and you've dried it on some kitchen towel, sow the seeds in a pot of ordinary potting compost, barely cover with sieved compost, put it in a warm propagator or something similar, and they'll soon come up. And then as soon as they start germinating and have come up, move them to a bright place like a sunny windowsill or a heated greenhouse or conservatory. And when the plants are big enough, which is usually after about four weeks, you can put each one in an individual pot. You'd look for about a three inch or eight centimetre pot and grow that in a warm, sunny place. You'll have a useful little tomato plant that's just beginning to flower by early summer. Peppers are the same, but the uh, seeds don't have to be washed to get rid of all the goo around them like you do with the inside of a tomato. And so you just scrape the seeds, let them dry, let the pepper ripen, leave it in somewhere warm. It'll get wrinkly and begin to dry out and assume its full colour. And as soon as it's done that, you can take the seeds and uh, sow them just as you would tomatoes. I'm an enthusiastic grower of tomatoes and peppers. It's always got great interest having a look at the ones in the supermarkets. Everybody says, and I concur with this, that a tomato that's ripened on the vine or on the plant is that little bit sweeter than the ones in the supermarkets. Moving on to the herb section, there's herbs in sachets. They probably won't grow, but the herbs that attract the gardener's attention are those growing in pots. They've been grown in heated greenhouses and they've been forced to have the most wonderful vegetation looking in their pots right now. So you can take those home and you can divide them and pot them up into fresh potting compost. Don't overwater them, but then again, don't underwater them. Give them plenty of light and not too cold to start with and they should survive and make nice plants. And it's a great thing to do with children as well. Some of them, like the chives, should be very easy indeed to turn out into good herb plants. And chives, being perennial, the children can plant them out in the garden in summer and have their own chive plant for, what, hopefully years and years. And now we're leaving the fruit and veg section and we're going to the place where dried vegetables are to be found. After a long search around the supermarket, we finally found the dried beans shelves. And in front of us are bags of marrow fat peas, chickpeas, mung beans, black eye beans, red kidney beans, turtle beans, a great range of beans. And all of these are theoretically possible to sow. They're just after all seeds and they're not treated in any particular way. They're obviously cleaned up so that you can use them as food, but they should retain to a large extent their viability. Because these things require hotter temperatures than most British vegetables, it's usually better to start them off in pots in April. But because the yield per plant is quite small for lentils and chickpeas, that would be an awful lot of pots. So it's better to plant them outdoors as soon as the soil has warmed up sometime in late May. So we're leaving the supermarket now, but next time you're in the supermarket and doing your food shopping, think about things that you could buy that not only add to your dishes and your meals, but also would offer potential to grow and plant out in the garden. And if you have scraps and you don't want to consign them to the compost bin or you haven't got a compost bin, then consider planting them and raising some green plants that are good for you, the environment, and save waste.
Okay, we're back to the studio. I'm very particular about the seeds I grow and I spend a lot of time and money buying the very best seeds I can find. But after going to the supermarket and thinking about it a bit, I think I might try growing some more things from food scraps this year. After all, it's coming up to the hungry gap. That's April to May when there's very little from my garden. So I will be visiting the supermarket and those peppers and tomatoes, squash, maybe even bits cut off carrots. They may very well find their way to my garden and be part of my cropping plan for this summer. And now we're off to Clockhouse Nursery in Enfield to get the inside scoop on the many, many seed potato varieties they stock and sell. Well, I'm Paul Oswick from Clockhouse Nursery. I'm the sort of shop manager, Sundry's manager. I do the buying of stuff for the shop here, which does include the seeds and the bulbs, and in this case, sort of seed potatoes, which we do stock sort of approximately 90 varieties. So we just have literally hundreds of them boxes stacked one after the other. We have them sort of set out in order of like first early, second early main crops. And the main crop goes 50 metres down the greenhouse and comes back on itself. So it's a huge area of seed potatoes. Well, quite often people can't believe there is this amount of potatoes. One of the staff here, her boyfriend works in a supermarket and they really only get to know a few seed potato names. And when we said to him, you know, like we had 80 or 90 varieties, he just couldn't believe it. And this is someone that's handling food. Well, generally a seed potato is something you would get from Scotland because it's quite cold and, and wet. They stay virus free and problem free there. You can get potatoes obviously from supermarkets and plant them. It, it will still grow a plant but generally not best to introduce them to your allotment or your garden because if they're not virus free, you probably will end up with viruses and problems in the future. So it's generally best to stick to one that has been grown for purpose, really. The first earlies will get planted really about March time and they don't get too big. And the first early you will crop and get ready early as in the name, approximately June, July, as dependent on the year and the weather and when they're actually ready. There are quite a few different ones, like Duke of York is a, is a very popular one, it's a bit further down there. Or even Pentland Javelin's another one that's ever so popular. The thing that will probably affect it the most is the weather. You know, I have worked here for a number of years and you get to know quite a lot of our regular customers that accept that one year is better than the other sometimes. So in 2021 it was a very wet year, so everyone was complaining of blight and not very good production of their efforts. Where last year, although it was very hot, people generally, you know, found that the, the potatoes were ready a bit earlier, but still got a reasonable crop. Well, next after that is a second early. And normally a second early is really a little bit later than the first early. I would say July, August is your time for cropping, but they, they are a bit bigger, slightly yeah, bigger potato. Our most popular variety is Charlotte. It's very good also if people are just trying off. If you wanted to try some in a pot, Charlotte is excellent for that. You can maybe try three or four potatoes in a, a good sized pot, like a 14, 16 inch pot with good compost in there and a plant will grow quite well. And then you'll probably get maybe a couple of kilos back off just a few sort of potatoes. So yeah, Charlotte is a very good one for that. But whilst we're in with the second early potatoes, one of our most popular lines is a potato called Spunta. We have a lot of sort of Turkish and Greek people in this area and it's a Cypriot potato. So it's very, very popular. 
I think what makes a difference is, is the size of the potato. Yeah, I've never actually grown this one myself, but this one is said to be sort of very big. You know, the people that do grow it, they come in here, oh, it's a great potato, it's a sizable potato. So if he's going to have a, a jacket potato, really, you'd probably want one from a splinter. And, you know, at the allotments, they all come down together sometimes. Like one guy will ring up and he'll order 10 bags, which is a 20 kilo bag, and he'll, he'll bring all his friends and they'll get it and grow it all from the allotment. Now I'll take you to the main crop potatoes, which is probably the biggest area that we do. So main crop potato is, again, it's when the timing of it is ready. So it will be ready for about August time, maybe September, depending on the weather and the year again. This is generally where you get your bigger potatoes, is what a lot of people grow as a main crop that they can store and keep, you know, over the winter. Probably most popular main crop variety is definitely Desiree. This one's ever so popular. It's got many uses all, all round, really, for boiling and cooking. And yeah, people love it. It's, it's a, normally a very reliable one. Just down this way, there's another popular one called the King Edward. The King Edward is as a well-known variety. Yeah, again, it provides a good size of potato. And it, and it's very quite uniform potatoes, really. So it can be used all, all round for, for, for cooking, for boiling, for chips. Again, they're going to be a good size, so you're not going to be wasting your time on that one, chopping it up. So I would also say my favourite one is Rooster. Makes a very nice chip again, yeah, but very good for all round juice, especially for roast potatoes. I haven't got a lot of area to grow, but yeah, from what the little while I do, Rooster gives a good crop and uh, probably my favourite, definitely, definitely. And then finally for the salad potatoes, I think we've only got sort of four listed in there, sort of salad blue ratte, pink fur apple, jazzy. Some of these can look a sort of odd shape, but can make a great addition to a salad. You know, I think fur apple said it's got a bit of a nutty flavour, excellent flavour for some. A salad blue, yeah, it gets the texture of that blue all the way through the potato. So again, if you're doing a salad, the colours within your meal then are fantastic. I would say most people, if they've got an allotment, say will do a main crop, you know, depending on what space they've got, but quite often the main crop would be the most important. Then followed by probably doing an early potato, so they have got a, an early crop ready. Most people who are doing a line of potatoes, a two or three kilo bag is, is plenty for them. And then they'll have a couple of varieties within that. I think people do like a choice. Everyone has got slightly different tastes and one person will say this is the best one you've ever had and you'll taste it and it's average. I think people enjoy, especially the ones that sort of look a little bit different. If they've got a bit of colour to them, like we said, that's the salad blue there or the ones with purple majesty. You know, if you're dishing someone up a bit of purple mash, for instance, then it's going to be something that you don't see every day. Well, I would like to encourage people to grow their own potatoes for the taste, purely the taste. But lots of people that are coming here would swear that, that they don't taste the same if you haven't grown them yourself. I don't know whether that's just the sweat and tears that have gone into it, or you know, you can make sure if you're growing your own potato, you're not putting any horrible pesticides on or anything you don't want to be in your in your food. You know, it's always great to organically do it if you can. So now is a perfect time to buy for your best selection by mid-March we'd be virtually sold out really so most of the traditional gardeners and the people that are really want to be doing it seriously they would have their own stock in their house by then so yeah I would say buy early get them early and just store them well. Thanks there to Paul. We've included a link in our show notes to Clockhouse Nursery if you'd like to learn more. I have to admit I'm a passionate potato grower 
I usually grow about six, seven, eight, maybe more varieties each year. And I end up with far, far more potatoes than I can eat. So this is not a particularly rational activity. And people tend to avoid me when they see me coming with a big box of potatoes. But I distribute them to my friends and family. Anyone will take them, really. Some years I end up with 100 kilograms of potatoes to store in my shed. So you can see that I'm, I'm very interested in potatoes. <laughs> well, that's about it for today. But before you go, as always, here's a short list of what you can do in your garden this week. Time is running out for the winter jobs, pruning, clearing up, getting ready for the following year. But it's also time to think about sowing and planting for your vegetable garden, and indeed your hardy annuals. So, you can start thinking about planting indoors, plants that are hardy. They can go out in about six weeks, so things like lettuces, cauliflowers and cabbages and also tender plants from small seeds. Small seeds mean small seedlings and it takes a long time to grow up a usable plant, more like about 10 weeks. Plants with small seeds to sow now include tomatoes, peppers, chilli peppers and aubergines. However, you might think it would be a good idea to start pumpkins and courgettes and squash now, or even runner beans, but these have big seeds, grow fast and you'd end up with enormous plants that fill up your greenhouse or windowsill and there'll still be months to go before you can put them outside. So for those big seeded things, wait until April to sow those at the earliest. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. It's the best way to help us share the love of gardening and hopefully it'll mean we'll start to see more and more teas made from our local trees. That's all for now. So from me, Guy Barter, goodbye and thanks for listening. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.